change just hit. I'm feeling anxious, but that's gotta mean good is in store. I'm in an opportunity. How am I gonna choose to show up? And then you start to transform that energetic signature and feel more of that excitement and enthusiasm. Welcome to Playmakers. I'm your host, Paul Epstein, 15 year NFL and NBA business exec, widely known as the 49ers Y coach. Now, your coach. Join me on this journey from why to purpose to impact. The key to it all, taking action. Prepare to get tactical as our guests share their daily playbook where purpose no longer has to be a distant North Star. It can become a 365 way of life. Let's go. Playmakers, it's about that time to welcome Cassandra Worthy into the conversation. Also known as the change enthusiast, She is a highly decorated corporate speaker, author, and consultant on a mission to introduce a growth mindset practice that will help us all to view change as a gift. These gifts have led her to create and cultivate the unique three-step strategy, which you'll soon learn, of change enthusiasm. It is arming individuals around the world with the means to harness the power of emotion, a resource in infinite supply to embrace and accelerate change and transformation journeys, both personally and professionally. Her client list includes Procter & Gamble, Allstate, Johnson & Johnson, and WeWork, just to name a few. Today, it is your turn to tap into the secret sauce of what it takes to become a change enthusiast. Buckle up, and let's welcome Cassandra Worthy into the Playmakers podcast. Cassandra, welcome to Playmakers. How are we doing? I'm chilling. What it do? Thank you so much for having me. This is, uh, this is exciting. <laughs> for sure. I love it. You are chilling and what it do. All right. I'll, I'll tell you what to do. Let me meet you where you are, my friend, because you and I, A, we know a ton of folks in the mutual thought leadership speaker space. But what I find super fascinating, you're a former engineer, okay? And now you are known as the change enthusiast. So when I put a couple of words together, engineer and enthusiast. I don't normally get that one-two punch. I don't always go there. So for our Playmaker audience, help us understand what exactly is a change enthusiast? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I spent many years, almost 15, working in more traditional roles of corporate, leveraging that degree in chemical engineering. It was mostly innovation uh, and R&D. But I always kind of had this whisper that there was something more, there was something bigger that I should be doing, share my gifts and talents, making the world a better place. Um, And so slowly that intuition became more of a shout. And I started to get (laughs) curious, what could that be? What could that look like? Um, And I found myself on a stage and I was just lit up. And I was like, okay, well, this is, this is it. Um, and so I, I created this thing called change enthusiasm, which it's a growth mindset. Uh, you know, so often when we're going through big change, big disruption, we're always told you need to have a mindset of growth, have a growth mindset, but suddenly are we told, okay, but what is that? And how do I actually practice it? How do I adopt a growth mindset? What does it look like? And so what I've done is employed my very pragmatic structured engineering mind to create a stepped kind of process to practice having a mindset of growth, seeing change as opportunity. And so that's what it's all about. It's a three-step process. I call it the signal, the opportunity, and the choice. The signal are the really difficult emotions we face when going through change, like frustration, like anxiety, like fear. Uh, That first step is acknowledging those emotions, allowing them to exist, 
trusting them as gifts, inviting you into a moment of opportunity to grow, to become better. That second step, the opportunity, you're weighing options. How can I grow in this moment? How can I learn about myself, my peers, my industry, my colleagues? And then the third step is a choice, my friend. What are you going to do to step up? How will you show up during these times to become better, to become a better leader, a better innovator, a better contributor? Uh, it's up to you to choose. We have a power when we're going through choice or when we're going through change. And even that change that feels like it's happening to us, we are still in the seat of choice. We can decide how we navigate through that change. And that's what change enthusiasm is all about. That's the promise of it. The more that you practice this, recognizing those difficult emotions, stepping into that opportunity, choosing how you move forward, you'll spend less time in what I call those signal emotions of change and really more time getting excited. Whoa, change just hit. I'm feeling anxious, but that's got to mean good is in store. I'm in an opportunity. How am I going to choose to show up? And then you start to transform that energetic signature and feel more of that excitement and enthusiasm. All right. All right. Now you got us rolling. Okay. I'm going to go back to the beginning. There's so much to unpack there. Let's go back to that whisper. If I'm a playmaker listening in, how can I recognize what were those cues of when you heard that earliest form of whisper that then you made a choice to lean into? It was curiosity. It was, it was just that you were trying to be more interested than interesting. And, and I love where you're bringing us. If I am listening in right now, how do I know that there is that whisper and what's the first step I could take to actually create momentum to bring it to life? Yeah. So you know that the whisper is there, uh, honestly, when it doesn't go away. So when you keep getting those little, little questions like, what if, what if this, uh, what could that look like? Or sometimes it could feel like tension. It, it sometimes could feel like you're just in misalignment. So the things that you're doing, the work that you're doing doesn't really resonate. You don't feel lit up in the work that you do. And so that whispers like, well, is there something different? What could I be doing that's different? And then when that whisper is there and you can actually acknowledge it, it's really about following curiosity. You know, Elizabeth Gilbert um, said, and I got to hear her speak live, how it's not about necessarily following passion because that can be overwhelming. What am I passionate about? I don't know. But first, follow your curiosity. And that's what I did. I got curious about really what people were saying were my natural talents and gifts. You know, as much as I love being an engineer, designing new shampoos, working on manufacturing lines and blades and razors, doing innovation, you know, the compliments that I would get was about my energy, was about how I could lead organizations, inspire organizations, how I could manage to get through really big change, like big acquisitions, still staying upbeat and still being able to invigorate and inspire my organization moving forward. And so I started to look at those gifts and kind of that unique value that I bring. And I got curious, well, how could I use that differently in a bigger way to really serve the world in a bigger way? And so at first, honestly, I thought I'd just be a self-help book writer. Now I have since written a book, but that's not where I started. I, through that curiosity is honestly where I found the stage. Um, and that's where I was like, ooh, this could be a great path for me to share my energy and also share kind of my pain points and this whole mindset that I started to create for myself. I can now share that with the world, leveraging what I've heard around me as my unique talents and kind of what I can uniquely bring to the table like no one else can. Um, and so I would, I would, I would advocate and inspire those who are feeling, maybe sensing that whisper, maybe sensing some of that tension, just feed the curiosity. What are you curious about? Make one little choice every day to explore that curiosity, one little step, and then another little step, 
And then another little step. And for me, that looked like moving from being a mid-level executive in corporate America to now leading a multi-million dollar speaking and consulting business. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome because in a lot of uh, past conversations here on Playmakers, we've always said if the end game, so it's Playmakers on purpose, and we really reposition purpose from being this distant, out of reach North Star into more of a 365 lifestyle. Like that to me is the purpose, right? And, and purposes has many hats, many forms. Purpose as, in my case, purpose as a dad, purpose as a husband, purpose in my career, purpose in the community, and it keeps rolling. But where I'm going with this is if purposeful life, 365 is the end game, the predecessor to that is passion. The predecessor to passion is curiosity. So I always say, let's not chase purpose because if you attack curiosity, and you get that special vibe, that special kind of energy that's flowing through you. Oh, there's a little passion there. And then you like keep on putting in the reps. And if you keep putting in the reps, by golly, I'm feeling a lot of meaning in my life. Oh, purpose is 365. But it started with curiosity. So with we're curiosity. vibing on a, on a lot of levels. And I'm telling you, let me, let me mention one more thing because the what you said just sparked something else. Something really awesome happened when I started following that curiosity, when I started opening up to sharing more of my gifts and started to embrace what I felt to be my purpose. I started to sculpt my work plan in corporate so that I did a little bit more of those things that leveraged my purpose, that, that lit me up. And so I was actually having a blast <laughs> in corporate before I took a step to actually leave and, and still get, you know, work full time in, into my own business. But when I identified what that purpose was, what really lit me up, well, then I could kind of inform my management and form my work plan. I want to do a little bit more of this because I think I'm great at it and it lights me up. So, you know, just because you're pursuing curiosity, that doesn't mean that you have to completely change your job. You have to change industry. You have to become an entrepreneur. It doesn't mean that. It just means you can now sculpt whatever work that you're doing so that you're doing a little bit more of that stuff that really lights you up and that feels purposeful for you. Yeah, I think curiosity, the beauty is experimentation is required. And I think we'd all agree, let's, we don't need to take massive swings to the bat for experimentation. I actually would probably recommend this, the opposite. I, hey, start small, right? I, win Monday, one day, one decision, one action at a time. Like that is an easier itch to scratch, at least personally versus, hey, Paul, go off and take this Jerry Maguire-like leap, which I did, but they didn't see the thousand little decisions and actions on the way to that leap. And they just think, oh, it was an overnight thing. Absolutely not. Absolutely not to get to de-stress myself to, I don't even know if de-anxiotizing. I just made up a word, anxiotizing. De-anxiotizing. My vocabulary. But seriously, Cassandra, it was crazy because a lot of folks think, oh, it's such a courageous, bold move. And I'm like, and that in my most recent book, I literally have a four step process to get to courage. And it's clarity, confidence, conviction, courage. Don't start at courage. Just start with getting clear. Right. And like, that's kind of where you're going. What about gifts and talents? You mentioned that if I'm listening in, in your case, it sounded like some of it lived within you. And then it seems like you also sourced a little bit of this from others. So if I'm, I'm just curious, if I'm listening in, I'm a playmaker, 
gifts and talents. What if I'm not clear on what those are? Is it solely kind of that self-discovery world or should I be tapping into others to better understand that? Tap into others. That was probably one of the most powerful exercises that I do, that I did, because I had certain aspects that I knew just kind of vibrated and, and made me light up. But then I was also curious about what are other people seeing? How is that manifesting from the outside looking in? And so I went on a little listening tour of, of those that work closely with me, like, what do you see me uniquely bringing to this? The table. And sometimes I didn't even ask the question. I just kept my ears perked for individuals saying, man, Cassandra, I love, they always say, I love your energy. I love your energy, man. How are you leading this team the way that you do? How are you inspiring these folks the way that you do? Uh, the way that you can present, like you make innovation and an initiative update interesting and vibrant. How do you do that? And so just start listening into those little things that you're hearing from those around you. And I literally filled two or three journal pages, just pulling from compliments and things that I had heard from people around me. Some of them were like one time where an executive came up to me after presentation and, and gave me a compliment. I jotted that down and it took, you know, I left some blank pages. It took several weeks for me to fill those up, but then I looked back and I reviewed them and it started to paint a different picture than what I was, than what I was currently doing. And it opened my mind to what is possible, what could be possible. And so I think that's a very powerful exercise to help others or use others around you to paint that picture of that unique light, that brilliance that you bring into the room. Um, and to see it in black and white written down, it was, it was very eye-opening for me. Wow, so cool. We're shifting gears slightly from gifts and talents into the second piece of change enthusiasm. And then I wanna go into your, your three-step process more in detail. But the second piece is, let's focus on enthusiasm because it's already pretty darn obvious. You got a lot in the tank, my friend. <laughs> I, I freaking love it. I know folks are like, just, I mean, if, if they were on the treadmill, like they're just burning holes and like, I, please if folks, no speeding tickets right now as Cassandra's giving us the, the wisdom and the enthusiasm. But here's where I wanna go. First, I'm gonna share a quick exercise that I do to keep, I call it more excitement, but I think they're, they're very similar. I'm going to give an exercise, but then I want to ask you a two prong question about enthusiasm. So for playmakers, a journaling exercise, of course, gratitude, all that fantastic stuff. Journal. When you look at your calendar in the morning, ask yourself, what is one thing that I'm excited about today? And here is the rule. If nothing on your calendar excites you, you leave it blank that day one, and it's going to hurt a little bit. But then the next day, same thing. Look at your calendar. What is one thing that excites me? And if it's still nothing, here is the rule. Don't get out of your journaling chair until you put something on the calendar that day that does excite you. So now at minimum, 50% excitement, and it will build momentum to 60, 70, 80, 90, and pretty darn near every day going forward. That's just a rule. So I just wanted to share that in a segue to enthusiasm. So for you, Cassandra, two prongs. One is today, as we're having this conversation, what are you most enthusiastic about? And then the second piece, let's hit the other side of the coin because life is far from perfect. What's challenging your enthusiasm? So what are you most, ex or, uh, excuse me, what are you most enthusiastic about? And then what is challenging your enthusiasm? So ironically enough, maybe it's not ironic, maybe it's more cliche, I don't know, but they're one and the same. <laughs> mm. So okay. the thing that has given me the most enthusiasm is growing and scaling this business. 
uh, building and growing Change Enthusiasm Global, bringing this message of change enthusiasm, the growth mindset, embracing the difficult emotions of change, not as negative, but as gifts, bringing that to the world. Um, and what it looks like in scaling this business, understanding how the message needs to be repackaged, needs to be curated across different cultures, whether you're in Asia, whether in Western Europe and Africa and Latin America, what does that need to look like in order for this messaging to land? Because I think it is relevant on a global scale because emotion is universal as a human species. We all feel it. It just manifests a little bit differently regardless of, you know, depending on where you are and where you sit in the world and that culture. And so that's given me really the most excitement is the work that I do. I get up and I get to live on purpose each and every day. And it also presents the most challenge because as an entrepreneur, as someone who is looking to build and grow and scale a business, especially a global business, sometimes actually most days I feel like I'm walking in the dark <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm grasping, right? I get a little bit of light and I take that next little step, a little bit of light, next step, right? And so it's still a very challenging journey and a challenging road to do it right. And to do it in a way that I envision, like I see this grand vision of this thing coming to life on a very global scale in a very real way, but I don't have all the answers of how to get there. Um, and so that's, that's my challenge. And so I have to surround myself with geniuses like you, um, oh. and, and other folks. And I just established an, an advisory board and, you know, to try to help kind of grow this business and think about things, uh, differently and help me see my blind spots. Uh, and the other thing that I'll offer as we think about enthusiasm and change enthusiasm and the fact this is not a mindset that's about um, uh, blind positivity or blind optimism, uh, because that can be quite toxic. Uh, For and sure. usually when I tell people, given my kind of natural kind of kind of way about things that I teach change enthusiasm, I get eye rolls sometimes, especially when people are struggling in change. They're like, oh, God, don't talk to me. I'm struggling right now. I don't need your enthusiasm. Uh, but the beauty in this is that it actually acknowledges and embraces the difficulty, the challenge, the difficult emotions that always come when we're going through a lot of change and that change that's worth it, that change that transforms us, that change that can grow us and step change us to that different leader to, you know, and that different position and acknowledge that, you know, head on. And honestly, as a practicing change enthusiast, and I have to practice this every single day, that first step, the signal, the acknowledgement and recognition of these really difficult emotions is probably the most difficult part for me because I am a very hat, glass half full, positive, upbeat kind of person. And so I like to suppress or I like to ignore those difficult emotions, but there's such beauty in acknowledging them because if you feel frustrated about something, if you feel angry about something, that means you care. That means there's something there that you care about. It's hitting something. And so there's something to be learned. Somehow that emotion can guide you towards something that you actually care about, to making something better in your life, some type of improvement, some type of change. And so I think it's important that we stay in tune with that and maybe couple your, your journal exercise with not only with what you're excited about, but what's inviting some signal emotions. And then how can you work? What can you choose? How can you navigate that to begin to transform that emotion a little bit and make that situation a little bit better growing and learning from that? So let's go through your three-step process here. And you just hit the first, especially in signals. So if we were to tap into your life, rear view mirror here, um, what's the signal that you've experienced that's had the most 
impact? Like if I were to uh, look in, in, in the course of your life journey, personal or professional, you could take it wherever, but what's that signal that has molded you, shaped you, made you who you are today? Is there one that really jumps off the page? I'd be remiss if I didn't say this one. It's, it's when I decided to say yes to my alcoholism. Um, I was arrested for DUI in November of 2014. Um, and I had always been uh, a big drinker, but I'd always told myself, there's no way that I'm an alcoholic. Both of my parents are in, are in AA. They're both recovering alcoholics. They had both told me that I should kind of look at my drinking. Uh, but I always just thought, yeah, I'm a heavy drinker, but you know, I do it to relax. I work hard and I play hard. Uh, and I would always tell myself, there's no way I can be an alcoholic because I never had a DUI. And I would go to AA meetings with my parents and I'd hear the stories and I'd use it as ammunition to tell myself, yeah, I'm not like these people because I don't have a DUI. So when I was in the back of that squad car, having been arrested for DUI, that's when my world crumbled. That's when I hit a brick wall. Um, and that's when my signal emotions probably have never been louder um, than in that moment in the days that followed. Um, I, I'm thankful to say that smacking into that brick wall was the wake up, was the, the grand signal that invited me into the opportunity to embrace my alcoholism as a part of who I am and that it's okay and to fully say yes to sobriety. And I haven't had a drink since. And it's because of that moment, that inflection point, embracing my signal emotions, knowing that opportunity was there, and then choosing sobriety, choosing to then listen to that intuition that at this point was now a shout because I wasn't numbing it out with alcohol. That was a shout. And then stay, taking those steps, that's what brought me on this journey. That's what brought me to this very moment and talking with you and, and your incredible audience. And so I'm so grateful for that happening. And I'm so grateful for that inflection point and actually listening to those emotions, sitting with them, and then stepping into my opportunity to evolve, to grow, and to become this, you know, you know, part of myself, this uh, manifestation of myself that, that stands before you today. I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. What's awesome about what you just shared for one, thank you for the, the candor, the vulnerability. Thank you for just being you. And that's just Cassandra, welcome, right? I mean, welcome. <laughs> so I heard a lot of your story that you just shared in your Ted talk. Right. And, and, and it was a big part of it. And I know, uh, the viral nature of it. I know that for every person that hits play on that, uh, it's going to hit them in a different way. You know, it's a message on a certain day and, and, and at a certain chapter in my life, so I'm curious, because you shared it out, I'm positive that you received private messages in all forms of Cassandra. Hearing you open up the way you did, it had this impact on my life. And so I just want to use that as a shining light for everybody out there. If there is a dark place that you, not, that you have yet to unpack in a way like Cassandra did, know that it's not only about helping yourself, it's about helping everybody to your left and right. It's about helping the strangers that you don't even know yet. And there is a message inside of you that can positively change lives, but you got to let it out. And I believe it's a win for you and a win for others. So I don't know, Cassandra, if you want to run with that anywhere, but I just feel like there's so much to unpack. Not only is it, not only is it a way to inspire another and those that you probably don't even know that you're inspiring because, you know, we're a role model in our everyday for people that we don't even know are watching us. But I think it's also when you can share vulnerability, when you can share of that dark place, maybe even if you're still struggling in it, it invites a conduit for authentic connection 
to connect with another individual. I had a man in an audience recently, he was an older white gentleman. Um, and during Q and A, we started talking about DEI. You know, I shared my, my experience as, you know, a black queer um, woman being in a predominantly male white environment as an engineer, as working in corporate and what's that been like and how do I get through that? Um, and so afterwards he came and found me and, and I actually shared from the stage that I was also, you know, uh, uh, in sobriety and, 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 and alcohol and alcoholic. Um, and he found me afterwards and he was like, you know, as I was listening to you, I just felt so drawn to you. And I thought to myself, I'm not gay. Um, I'm not a woman and I'm not black. Why am I so drawn to her? But then when you shared your story about your recovery, about sobriety, and then he showed me his chip. He'd been in, in AA for years, also in sobriety, and we embraced and, and had a big hug. And this, this white older gentleman who couldn't think of any other way that we could connect, that, the darkness, that part of my story was our connection point. And we had an authentic embrace because of that. So share of yourself, get vulnerable, share your, your fullest, most authentic, brightest light, and it can spawn connections that you never thought you could make, and it can inspire in ways that maybe you never imagined possible. Yeah, especially in today's world where unfortunately we are so disconnected in so many ways. What an amazing way to create connection. It's not the traditional way you would think of, but it's that opening up. And I, I love that authentic connection piece. So you talked about a signal now shifting gears into the opportunity. I know you mentioned a couple of words earlier about uh, growing and learning. And it, it's, it's all about the, sometimes it's the discomfort that you have to go through in a change process in order for you to become the better version of yourself, be more impactful in, in your work or whatever it is that you have as an end goal. But what insights would you have about what should we be keeping in mind uh, in the step two space of opportunity? Yeah, so we actually just recently closed um, our research uh, at the company uh, here in America, and we're kicking off our studies globally over the next few weeks. And one of the data points, one of the insights we gleaned from that research all around the country is that 82% of working Americans trust and know that growth often demands discomfort. And that data point floored me <laughs> because it's like it presents the rationale. It presents the motivation for the work that I do. There is uh, an, an intellectual acceptance that if I'm going to grow, there's going to be some type of growing pain. There's going to be some type of discomfort. But when we're actually in it, it's very difficult for us to remember that we have that belief. But it's 82% of us that inherently believe that. And sometimes it just takes a reminder that, hey, you're in your zone of discomfort. You're feeling some signal emotions. This is tough. Ooh, it must mean that you're about to grow. And how will you choose how you grow, how you navigate? So that's one data point that I now remember like on a daily basis and that I'm now able to share out with the world. Um, and when you're feeling that discomfort, no, there's probably an inherent belief inside of you that if there's discomfort, it means there's growth. And the other thing that I will offer when you've accepted that invitation from your signal emotions and you're in that second step is to explore kind of the thoughts that were bringing your awareness into those signal emotions. And again, that means that's something there that you, that you care about. And so understand where those thoughts were, kind of what is that area, what aspect of that change is really inspiring the signal emotions, because that's kind of where I'd focus your energy. Um, and then also look through the lens of what can I control? 
What can I control in this situation? And create your choice matrix based on what you can control. I think too often we get our wheels spinning, we get in a mental downward spiral, we get into this rut, focusing on what we can't control, what we have no control over. But we can start getting little wins, we can start getting progress, we can start taking small changes and choices to transform our energetic signature um, when we start focusing on that which we can control, which we have responsibility for. And oftentimes it's the way that we react, it's the way that we respond, um, and the way that we can take control in navigating our careers. Um, So those are the two things that I would offer. All right, Playmakers, it's about that time to discover your why. It only takes five minutes, and on the other side, you will better understand who you are, how you think, and why you do what you do. Here's how you get the assessment. Text the word why to 310-564-7857. Again, open up a text and send the word why to 310-564-7857. Five, seven. For coaching after, DM me. For now, let's get back to the show. Uh, I love it. I love it. And and we've talked about this in past convos on Playmakers. There's things that you, how about this? It's a very short list of things that you fully don't control. Things like weather, economy, adversity. We all know adversity does not discriminate. On the flip side, the list ain't that long of things that you 1 million percent control, but you just mentioned from attitude to effort to energy to there's there's certain things that you can fully control. The biggest space of life is that middle ground of influence. But what we found is the more that we can control the controllables, the greater we can have positive influence in those things that fall in that in-between zone. And so A, it's a couple lessons. Don't stress too much on the things you fully don't control. When adversity strikes, it happened. Now we embrace it. And I think your three-step process is a phenomenal system that we can apply if that were to ever happen. But it's also just kind of the keep it simple methodology. If we fully focus on the controllables, it's just a much happier place to be because you feel like if today was a bad day, then tomorrow can be a better day because you're in control of those few things. So a couple of things I want to unpack in step three choice, just kind of a fun question for you, Cassandra, because I just finished writing my second book, which is Better Decisions Faster. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And I'm fired up to share it with the world. It'll be just an amazing 2023. But I've been getting asked this question so much. So I just want to pick your brain for a second. People have asked me, is there a difference between a decision and a choice? Because I've been writing so much about decisions and then your word is choice. I have an opinion, but I want to hear yours first. Is there a difference between a decision and a choice? I use them interchangeably. I use them interchangeably. Um, a decision is something that you make uh, to move yourself forward. Um, and it's the same thing as a choice. It's an action that you're taking. This is what I'm choosing. This is what I'm deciding. I use them interchangeably. Honestly, I do. 
I, I fall in your camp and the way if you forced me, total gun to that, if you said, hey, Paul, you gotta separate them, I would say, okay, fine, fine, fine. So, you know, Cassandra, like in sports, they call them your, the MVPs, right? Most valuable players. So I call them your MVDs, your most valuable decisions. And those are those bigger variety, those forks in the road, like in a business setting, is it do the deal or don't? Is the strategy A or B? Team, do I hire or fire? Do I invest or not? Um, relationship, am I in? or out, you know, kind of those AB things that we don't get them every day, but they're really freaking consequential. So my book is about giving folks a process and a system to make the better and faster decision in those MVDs. But then the choice, if decisions are macro, the big picture, I like the choice of the micro, like how you show up every day is a choice. When I walk in a room, when I get on a Zoom meeting, I either warm it up or I cool it off. Am I aware of my own temperature? I have a choice. And so I just, it just helped me. I'm not saying that is uh, correct. It's more just, I like the fact of thinking of decisions and choices interchangeably, but if decision is very big, choice is like a moment by moment thing. You always have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. I, can, I mean, I can get down with that. I'm still probably going to use them interchangeably, but I, I, I understand the way you set it up. <laughs> All right. Let's have some fun with step three. So choice. Um, I've heard you in, in past conversations say that choice in step three is where the magic happens. You've said that it's where the magic happens. So what's the magic? Like talk to us about the magic and then I'll bring our playmakers in so we could wrestle with this one a little bit. We'll have some fun. For me, the magic is using our mind, the choices that we make within ourselves to actually change our energetic signature. We do that through mind. When we make a choice, we can move ourselves from feeling all kinds of fear, from being stuck, from feeling, you know, just down. Through choices, we can begin to change that signature. We can find ourselves a bit of hope. We can find ourselves a bit of anticipation. Um, and even though the emotions in between, right? I, I always say that it's not one choice that can move you from anxiety to anticipation because that's a huge leap, uh, but it's making little choices to slowly change that energetic signature, to move you one little step further. And so there's such power in that. There's such power in that. And that's why truly I call it, I call it magic. Um, and the result of that is, you know, I write about this phenomenon in my book called emotional contagion. We can literally catch the emotional energy of those around us. And so it's important that we take responsibility for that energetic signature that we bring into every room. And it's not a matter of, ooh, I need to be accountable for this energy, so let me be excited and be upbeat. No, I still want you to be your full authentic self, but just recognize that's the energy you're bringing into the room and maybe even acknowledge it. You know what, team? I'm a little bit down today. Um, some things are going on in my personal life, so I'm feeling a little bit slower, maybe a little bit more you know, reserved. I'm still here. I'm still in it. I'm grateful to be with the team, but just know my energy is just, just a little down today. Just acknowledge that, right? Taking a responsibility. I'm taking, I'm being accountable for this energy, this low energy I'm bringing into the room. That's the only thing that I want folks to be mindful of. And again, that is also a choice. Um, and the other thing that I'll say about this third step, because I don't want folks to think that once I've gone through steps one, two, and three, I'm done. I'm a change enthusiast. I'm now enthusiastic about change. <laughs> That's not the way it works, right? This is actually a growth cycle. 
right? Every time you get a signal emotion, you're coming right back into that first step and you have to practice these steps on a consistent basis. That's how you rewire the chemistry of your brain. That's how you're actually building that resilience muscle is by putting these steps into practice each and every day. There's two key ingredients that help one successively become a practicing change enthusiast. Grace, meaning granting yourself grace when you're in that first step, granting grace to those around you who wear change a bit differently and might be still in their first step, as well as patience, patience. So, so often when we make our choices, we want things to immediately, <laughs> immediately be better and go all the way from, you know, dread and anxiety to anticipation and enthusiasm, one choice, but it doesn't always happen that way. It takes patience. It takes patience. Maybe you have to make multiple choices. Maybe you did make big one big choice, but it takes patience to actually see the result of it, to see the fruit of it. So remember, if you say yes to practicing this, make sure you include some grace, make sure you include some patience. And that's probably one of the most difficult parts is that patience part. Because especially with me, I hate being in step one. I hate feeling those difficult emotions. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> well, but patience, you're right, because... These are habits like if you're going to tell me that it's this cycle, so you're not done after step three, it's a loop and it's it, you just always go back and it, there is no finish line. How about that? The cycle is lifelong. It never stops. And if that sounds exhausting, that's OK. That's kind of like saying I'm going to choose a healthier lifestyle. And we all know what that means from a diet perspective, from an exercise. You, tell me this. If you want to have a healthier life, does that ever stop? Are you you're just going to eat healthy for four months and the rest of your life eat it, come on, like we all know that. So this is about, I think the missing piece here, and if I could simplify this, because I love grace, I love patience, consistency. Even with my four C's earlier, what good does it do if I'm clear once and then I build my self-confidence once and then I'm convicted in my actions once and then I make that one courageous decision and then I stop focusing? Consistency is the winner, and that's it. So we have to have the process in a system like your three steps, and then it's multiplied by the consistency, which leads to those habits. So let's put our business hats on here for a second, because there's a choice that you made in your past that maybe there's some folks listening in. Uh, it, we'll, we're going to tie it back to Playmakers because go back to your engineering days. I've heard a conversation that you had with a former manager that eventually, you know, led to, uh, we can call it an exit, but basically like you, the way you internalize that conversation with this manager, the way that it meant about post and acquisition. And so I'll let you run with the story, but where I want to kind of tee it up though, is if you're listening in and right now, if I were to say career and maybe you're feeling unstable, uncertain, unclear, Maybe part of this new cycle about quiet quitting. Hey, like if you're not fully engaged in what you're doing, I want you to really lean into this because I'm not saying Cassandra was not engaged. I'm saying if there might be a change, professionally speaking, in your future, I think Cassandra's story can open up a nice way for us to frame it as far as um, just a shining light for the future, but also an engineer's mindset on how she approached it. So hit, hit us with the backstory. Sure. So this was the second really big change that I went through in my professional life. It was the second multi-billion dollar acquisition I was a part of. 
And I was in the business that was being acquired by a different organization. Um, and shortly after that acquisition closed and I was formerly a part of that new company, they started to cut headcount. They were looking to, to drive out costs. And I was a mid-level executive at this point, um, you know, with a, with a big salary. And so I was, uh, I felt like my neck was on the chopping board. Uh, so it was a very uncertain time. I didn't know if I was going to wake up and have a job, a job the next day. Now, on top of that, within those first couple months, I was given a new manager uh, brought on by this new company that I was a part of. Uh, so this manager didn't know me. They didn't know my tenure, my background, the company I'd come from, that culture, anything. And during a budget review, he was in my office and he was like, you know, Cassandra, I like you and I want to keep you, but I'm just not seeing a lot of value in having you in my organization in a couple years. Um, acute signaling motions, my fists balled up, my mouth went dry. Um, I kept it together. I kept it together during the conversation, but as soon as he left my office, you're talking about downward spiral. I, I, I quit what I was doing. I, I pulled up LinkedIn. I started, <laughs> brought up my resume. I was almost panicked, you know, thinking that I was about to lose my job. The worst just happened. I'm about to lose my job. And so in a moment of clarity, you know, at this point I was already a practicing change enthusiast, although I didn't call it change enthusiasm at the time, I recognized my mouth was dry and I recognized the wealth of signal emotion that I was feeling, the fear, the anxiety, uh, the disappointment, the shame, the anger, the, and I was infuriated, the anger. And in that moment I was like, okay, I'm being welcomed into an opportunity. And, and I, at first I needed to just step out. Like I had to actually go to a coffee house and collect my thoughts, knowing that I was in this opportunity. Um, and so over time, over the next couple of days, I started thinking to myself, okay, this guy's just giving me an opportunity, right? He's given me two years to look for another job, another position. And what I thought is going to be a heck of a better position. And so I thought to myself, you know, my negative thoughts are I'm about to lose my job. I'm not going to be employed, but yet I know I can add value. And so I can either start looking for a job outside of this company, or I can find a job in a different organization, not in his work, but still in that company. And so over the next four months, I actually created a role for myself, still in that company, but in a different organization. Um, and it was actually a, a role I was better suited for that leveraged my talents and passions in a better way that served the business better as well as myself. It was, it was a role that I loved. And I got to transition into that position just four months after that leader told me I wouldn't have a job in two years. And so it was through practicing this mindset, recognizing those signal emotions. And it was probably the toughest four months that I'd experienced to date uh, in my professional life at that time. But through working the steps, knowing this is an opportunity, I know I can add value. I know the business is going to be better as well as other opportunities I had to influence up, to influence down. I created that role. And today I'm so grateful to that manager for telling me the words that he did, even though it shot nerves down my spine and made my <laughs> fist ball up <laughs> faster than they ever have. Uh, I'm so grateful because he welcomed me inspired by my signal emotions into that opportunity to create that role that I just loved. Um, and that I flourished in. So yeah, I would say if you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling those signal emotions, there's something there for you. There's some type of an opportunity that you can explore, whether that be within your same company, whether that be in a different function, a different role, or maybe even in, in a different, in a different company. But if you're hearing those signal emotions and they're not going away, they're calling to you. Something, something is happening, something is stirring. And I invite you to listen. I invite you to listen. There's a sports analogy that comes to mind when we used to be in really tough markets, NBA, NFL, and it was always these uh, cellar dwelling teams. It was like a last place record. And just here, here's what we used to say, Cassandra. And, and there's a interesting comparison to what you just said. There was 
apathy in the market. And that was something that was really tough to solve for. Like they just didn't care versus tell me you love me. Awesome. Tell me you hate me. Let's talk through it. Or I'm going to run to somebody else because I probably can't overcome it. I said, tell me you love me. Tell me, uh, tell me you hate me. Don't tell me that you don't care. And so my point is the signal shows care. It might not be a positive signal. It, it might actually be a negative feeling signals like some of the ones that we've been talking about. But I think that's a good thing because it shows that you care, that you give a damn, that this is important to you versus if you're like, eh, like, eh, is kind of hard to change. But when you say, I'm not happy here, all right, let's unpack that. I'm not fulfilled in my career. I'm not convinced that I'm climbing the right ladder. Okay, then let's talk about the ladder. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about your gifts and talents. So just, Yes, yes, it shows that you care, even if today may not be the warm and fuzzy inside feeling. Step into that tension, step into it. Yeah. And please let's not negate the role that management, that leadership plays in this new phenomenon of quiet quitting. It's the manager's leadership's responsibility to keep those lines of communication open and to take accountability to creating the type of environment where employees feel safe to share, where employees feel safe to emote. When you don't have an environment of psychological safety, when you don't have an organization and a culture where employees feel open to speak up and say, you know what, I'm not doing something that lights me up, or I see something over here that could light me up more. If it's not safe for them to share that, then it's going to look like this quiet quitting, but I don't hold the responsibility on the employee. I actually hold it on the leadership, the culture, and the... and the. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Second to last question, Let's hang in the professional space. Let, you do so much in the consulting world, so I, I know you're going to have a very insightful, unique take on this. If I was to ask you biggest problem that you see in corporate America as far as biggest challenges, biggest pain points, like a couple things that I've been dealing with in the past months are, of course, uh, some of this is slowly getting figured out, but I still think it's far from figured out is this remote versus hybrid versus in-person and it's creating tension between employer and employee. So that's one. I also have been approached in my consulting work about a lot of generational, you know, <laughs> old folks are complaining about the young folks and vice versa. And it's like, hey, look, and then folks like you and I dive into it. What's the biggest pain point and challenge that in your consulting work, you're uh, being approached to say, hey, Cassandra, can you help in this area? And then maybe share some insights on, on how you're approaching more of the positive solution based. Yeah. So two of them, I would say, number one, that we too often diminish what we often call negative emotion when going through a lot of change hypergrowth or a lot of change, transformation or disruption. It is so important that we acknowledge those emotions and that we create productive avenues for that emotional energy to flow. I think gone are the days that we should leave emotion at the door of business. Uh, the research that we just led completely debunks what I call a myth. We have got to let go of that antiquated mindset. Emotion is welcomed in business uh, or it needs to be welcomed in business. And it's going to exist there whether you acknowledge it or not. The danger is if you don't acknowledge it, that difficult emotional energy will just fuel people right out the door. 
And that's when your attrition rates go sky high. And so it's so critical, especially during times of a lot of change, a lot of shift, a lot of disruption, that you're acknowledging those more difficult emotions and arming your employees with a way, with a mindset to harness the power of that, to actually fuel them to become better as an individual, as well as for the business. So that's number one. And obviously change enthusiasm sits squarely in the solution space of that. Smack dab, that's the, a bullseye. The second yep. one that I would say is change fatigue. Um, I think that's becoming more and more real across every industry, almost every industry vertical that I work in. Because, you know, in the tech industry, uh, which has been a lot of my clientele over the past 18 months, all kinds of growth, right? So much growth across so many of those, those uh, within those companies, within that industry vertical. And so with that growth, there's a lot of competing priorities. There's a lot of different business imperatives and objectives and a lot of different change initiatives. And you're wearing your people out. You know, in our research, we asked, what's the number one reason for burnout um, and that change fatigue? And it was leadership pulling in too many different directions. That's the number one reason. And so despite the fact that you want to grow, that you want to continue pushing the organization, don't lose sight of having clarity of priority. Having your top three, your top three areas of priority, keeping the organization laser focused on change, on growth that can be manageable. Of course, push the limits, push it to the edge, but don't go over the edge uh, because that change fatigue is very real. And I would say as leaders, let's remain mindful not only in achieving our change adoption or our change initiatives, but also maintaining employee well-being as we move through that journey. Absolutely. It's the old growth at what cost? And I'm not talking financial cost. I'm talking well-being. I'm talking people feeling like they matter. People feeling that self-worth because when they feel that, guess what? They tend to produce more. They tend to perform at a higher rate. Oh, by golly, your profits shot up. This isn't rocket science. I think it's that foundational relationship and connection that often, Cassandra, I, I, I trust everything you're saying and I believe it because I just think there's, there's, there's fractures in relationships and if we could focus on relationships and connections and sometimes that growth process, that change process of we didn't have a great relationship to I'm gonna be a part of the solution as a leader to build that bridge again, that is that might be uncomfortable, but that is going to be what's required in order to have a thriving culture in the future. All right, Cassandra, we we you picked up just this inordinate amount of playmakers that now want to engage with you, connect with you, find you, follow you. Where should they go? CassandraWorthy.com. Um, as well as follow me on my social channels, Cassandra Worthy on LinkedIn, uh, as well as Facebook. We are change enthusiasts and then Cassandra Worthy speaker on Instagram. Uh, but if you Google Cassandra Worthy, if you want to find me, you'll find me. <laughs> you <laughs> and absolutely the, will. And the other thing that I'll say, 2023 is going to be a very big year for me and the consulting company Change Enthusiasm Global. We're launching our brand new website. We're going to be launching this incredible research that we're doing all around the world. And one of its kind research on change and emotion in the workplace. And then I'm also going to be putting a lot of effort into my YouTube channel. Uh, and so if you're interested, get subscribed to my YouTube channel because you're going to get a video every day in 2023. So I'm putting a lot of energy, a lot of effort talking all things change, all things resistance, resilience, emotion, expressing emotion in the workplace, leading change, all that. Check me out on my YouTube channel. Times 365, that is consistency. You are practicing what we have been preaching. I love it. I love it. Final question. And then we're going to cut out of here. Advice, best piece of advice that you have either given 
or been given? Um, I would say that no matter where you're at right now in your career, in your personal and your professional life, just trust that you're there for a reason. Trust that you're there for a reason. And I fully believe it's to share your unique talent, your ability, your perspective, your background, your flavor in a way that no one else can. And so never hesitate from being your full authentic light. Um, and even if it's in a place where that's not going to fully resonate, then you'll know it a lot quicker and you can get about the business of finding an environment where you can be your authentic light and it's received well, and then you vibrate, um, brightly. So yeah, share your full authentic self, trust your, where you're at for a reason, share your gifts, share yourself as fully with the world as you can. Playmakers be your full authentic light with that. That is the mic drop. Cassandra, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for being on Playmakers today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Another episode in the books. You know the drill. If it added value to your life, subscribe, share, leave a review, and help grow our Playmaker community. For keynote speaking and why coaching, visit paulepsteinspeaks.com. And last call, if you haven't already, take your why discovery now. Pull out your phones and text the word why to 310-564-7857. Again, text the word why to 310-564-7857. Playmakers is proudly produced by Detroit Podcast Studios. Until the next time, dominate the day on purpose.